Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first podcast episode of 2023. Happy New Year. I wish you good health and that your life never runs out of happiness. My first guest tonight is acclaimed and award-winning poet, Mary Gilliland. Mary is the author of two award-winning collections, The Ruined Walled Castle Garden in, in 2020 and The Devil's Fool in 2022. Her poems have been anthologized in many journals and other publications. You see, I could go on and on about Mary because I'm so excited for her to be here. You know how I am. (laughs) But instead, let's talk to Mary. Mary, hello. You're on the air. Oh, hello, Michael. It's (laughs) wonderful to be here. Happy New Year to everyone. (laughs) That's fantastic. The, The crowd can always tell when I'm happy, Mary. They can always <laughs> tell when I'm happy. <laughs> so let's begin this poetic journey. Mary, okay. what is poetry? Talk to me. Hmm. Well, I consider that poetry integrates the spiritual and the secular, and it's through our voice. Because uh, if you think about it, speech is the bridge between the body and the mind. Uh, even literally, um, the throat, where's the throat? It's between the head and the heart. And, and so it mediates those two things, our intelligence and our caring. Um, so uh, it's sort of a core principle of life, at least for me. <laughs> Talk more about it being a core principle of life, poetry. Talk, tell me more. I like that. Tell me more. One of the very first things that happens and, and say parents are waiting for uh, with a little infant is, um, uh, of course, like, when does it see through its eyes? You know, the eyes are open, but it takes a while for the baby to see. But another thing that they wait and they wait is what is, what is the first word going to be? When is the child going to talk? And so this is a, uh, a fulfillment, I believe, of our embodiment uh, as human beings is uh, this speech that we learn from others and that we pass along to others. And poetry is a very uh, crystallized, or shall I say, a distilled uh, form of speech. It is a container. A poem is, is like a container for a precious moment or a precious thought. All right. All right. Well, with all you know about poetry, and it sounds like you know a lot, why is it important, Mary? Talk to me. Why is it important? I would say that um, poetry frees us uh, not from time, but from the bondage of time and, and from the bondage of self. Um, a, a, a moment that, or an, an event or a, a person that's 
written about, a poem's written about is customarily it's in the past, but mm-hmm. a poem will fully uh, bring that moment to life or bring that thought to life. And and so the the moment itself becomes kind of vertically integrated with many many a moment past and present and and it relates to many a moment moment that other people have experienced and um, and therefore it serves a almost as a glimmer of eternity oh, of, wow. of sharing our time and our space with the great before and the great after and the great beyond. <laughs> wow. Beautifully stated. I was so struck by bondage of self, bondage mm. of time, and I mixed up uh-huh. the order. That to me oh. was incredible. I always had chills to my body that it, you escape from those things. Bondage is such a huge word. It, it has so many word. connotations. It does. It does. You know, you've written a book, The Devil's Fool. Tell me, what inspired your book? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, I, I admit, I freely admit that uh, when people ask what does the title mean. Um, yes, that's that my next uh, question. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, you can be included. <laughs> okay, right. am, thank you. I am certainly included. <laughs> but um, I don't know, in, in some sense, it's like the whole of creation is included. Um, because um, um, what we expect is, doesn't often or usually come to pass. Um, and uh, I, I can't uh, talk about it as a, a full-blown inspiration for the whole book. Um, right. I, I don't sit down. Uh, there are some poets, they, they decide, I'll write a book about this, and it'll, have, it'll be this long, and it'll go this way. But I concentrate poem by poem. And when I'm making a poem, I'm completely like with that poem. And then, and then it's when I, you know, spread them all out and, and I ask them, well, which of you are talking to the other ones? And then wow. I, and then I find um, a way to make a collection. And so in this collection, I, I would say I, I managed to write um, about love and about death and about the changing of the seasons. Those are those are the three uh, cliched um, topics, you know, for for lyric poems. But I also wrote about, um, say, the complexity and the conflicts uh, within long-term relationships. And I wrote I write a good good many poems about alcoholism. Um, somewhere in the middle of the book, there's a lot of po- there are a number of poems that are set in Scotland. And the reason for that is that I lived in Scotland for a month during um, something that uh, a disease of cattle called the foot and mouth epidemic. And it was, it was, it was horrifying. And the government response, the policies were horrifying too. And anyway, it inspired all, all sorts of reflections in me and it inspired a few of the poems in the book. Um, but you no, know, there's a poem about mushrooms. There's a poem about <laughs> oh, you'll, well, you'll be hearing some of these. <laughs> okay, okay, I like that. I like that. I like that. But I want to ask you though about that title, "The Devil's Fools." I mean, yes. that is that's a striking. It, what makes us the devil's fools? That's what I want to know. 
Um, we often compromise okay. uh, to get one thing. We give up another. Um, we watch individuals and whole countries uh, going against their own values. Um, we are totally able to be a peacemaking species. And what is the most endemic plague on this earth? It's war. What is the greatest cause of climate change? It's military doings, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of my, <laughs> they asked Mahatma Gandhi, Gandhi, what yes. do you, what do you, what would you, what would you think of Western civilization? What do you think of it? And he said, Oh, I think it would be a good idea. <laughs> you know, and, uh, so this is a little bit of, of my take on on that civilization. The earlier uh, chapbook of mine, the ruined walled castle garden. That that's another image uh, for the whole bit. You know, mm-hmm. sort of what we have done. <laughs> All right. Please share with me the titles of five of the poems in the book. Just five poems. Randomly choose five poems. Okay. Uh, Wild Celery. <laughs> another title. Another title is Going Places. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another. It's called Lit with Radiance. Uh, number four. Holy Island. Um, oh, five. This will, this will be a short one. Dionysus. Oh, wow. What about those titles? Tell me about the titling process. Are titles important to you? Should a poem have a title? Mm, um, I think I, I usually do have a title to the poems. Um, I know it's it's entirely possible to write a book with the untitled poems, but um, it's the title of a poem comes to me at any given time in the process. I mean, it could be, it could be early. It could be very, very late. I, I've had uh, drafts of poems where the poem was kind of finished on the page, and then you see all my little scrawls next to it, and it's about you know twelve or seventeen different possible titles. You know, so <laughs> uh, uh, Holy Island. Um, that's actually the name of a place, a place over in Britain. Um, mm. It's an in- informal name for, for a place, you know. Wild yes. Celery is, is because the poem is actually about um, the, the nourishment, nourishment of wild celery as opposed to processed celery. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, the, the cover of your book is very interesting. Talk about the process of creating the cover. Oh, I did not create the cover. Mm-hmm. And this is so interesting because you hear all these almost horror stories about uh, what happened with the cover of my book, because, you know, mm-hmm. usually the author doesn't, um, doesn't have any input on the cover. Um, on my chapbook, The Ruined Walled Castle Garden, I asked if the press, that press, could get the, uh, the Durer etching or engraving, or the, the Albrecht Durer, and, and they said, oh, probably not. But the Morgan Library said, yes, go ahead and use it. So I'm glad I spoke up there. But yes. I was silent about the devil's fools. I was silent. I didn't know what would happen. I had seen mm-hmm. other books that press had done, and, and I was impressed with them. 
And so when I saw this cover, um, I knew that the designer that had done these graphics had actually read the poems. Mm. Um, and something interesting about the cover, the book is so well made that the, the illustration on the cover continues all the way on the inside of the cover. And then as you start to look at the copyright page and the table of contents pages, the, the illustrations go on and on and they're different each time. And it's this wild sea, this stormy place with wow. outcroppings, you know. And mm-hmm. there, it, there's a good bit of sea imagery in some of the poems. Um, but, but I just want to um, see if I can find the, the book's epigraph before yes. the book starts. There's an epigraph, and this is from the poet Christopher Smart. He mm-hmm. lived in England. Oh, I'm not always good on these things. It might have been in the 1600s and 1700s. Um, and um, he, he's a very interesting poet. But this is just one line from one of his poems. And it's this. it says this. For in my nature, I quested for beauty. But God, God has sent me to see for pearls. Wow. This book this book of mine developed over over many years. It was actually a finalist in these anonymous national poetry contests for twenty one years. Mm. I I can only tell this to you, Michael. Yes. Don't tell it to anyone else. Um, <laughs> no one else is listening. Literally no one say, else is listening. <laughs> okay. you, 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 Please, you could say of me, she persisted, you see, and I did. Yes. And sometimes the, the, some of the poems in the, in the manuscript, I changed them. I changed the order of the poems. But I always had this epigraph from Christopher Smart. This was always guiding me somehow in how do I put this book together. For in my nature, I quested for beauty. But God, God has sent me to see for pearls. You know, I'm going to ask you a number of questions about your book as we continue this journey. But one question before you share, what did you learn about yourself writing this book? Mm -hmm. I learned in in the very final revision uh, of the book that I did, I softened it. And in... In all of the striving poetry circles of the poets that are trying to get their book published, mm-hmm. you always hear the advice. You should always take out the weaker poems and, and put in stronger poems and make it stronger and stronger. And mm-hmm. I decided to please myself. And so I took out poems, some of the poems I, I liked best, and they mm-hmm. were the strong, very strong poems, and I put in softer poems, you know, poems that really would, you know, be more about relationship or they, they wouldn't be something like as soon as a person reads it, they go, oh, wow, you know, they might just go, ah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I learned that I could have that, um, that part of me be part mm-hmm. of my public self in this book. All right. You know, so you were willing to compromise in a sense. I'm, 
I'm a great mm. compromiser, aren't I? It sounds like yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> and I commend huh. you for it. Please okay. share a poem. Okay. Okay. If you don't mind, I will start with a list poem. Now, right. lists that work poetically, I call them litanies. Um, and also some of the earliest surviving poems in our English language, um, back that we couldn't even read it, Anglo-Saxon, they're charms. They would, they would be charms to make a, a swarm of bees fly away, you know, something like that. And I intend this poem. It's called Intermittent Pipe. So I'm using my pan pipes, but, but they, they stop and start. Um, intermittent Pipe is intended to work like a charm to cut through attachment. So when you hear this poem, you'll hear lots of everyday objects and, and lots of creatures. And you'll hear about diseases and goodnesses and of habits of thought and behavior, all kinds of stuff. And the poem is kind of, it's like a plea or a prayer to detach from all these things and these events and behavior. At the same time, the poem in its own way praises all of them too. So, intermittent pipe. Cutworm, aphid, weevil, earwig. Let go your fruit, your fondnesses, your friends. Dial tone, click, unexpected knock, voice override. Let go your agenda, your hoarse throat, your interruption. Sun, clear air, warm earth. Let go your habitation, your namesakes, your flag. Button, tatting, pocket, dart, pleat. Let go your edger, your embroidery. Wisdom, order, peace, heart. Let go your hampers. Clarity, thoroughness. Goodwill. Let go your holding back. Fan belt, cylinder, regulator, winch. Let go your alternator. Katie did, mantis, soldier bug, lady beetle. Let go your soft fly, your leaf roller, melon worm, measles, egg, plague, melanoma. Let go your bathroom, grocery. Your druggist, white clover, hairy vetch, buckwheat, spring oat. Let go your summer cover. Give up your hair, your nail, nipple, elbow, key, all, allen wrench, ice pick, hanger. Give up your worship, your worry, workload, world, clover leaf, rotary, roundabout. Let go your going. Heat wave, snow squall, typhoon, Sirocco, dry your hair. Sten gun, repeater, tank, stripes, grenade. Sing your ballad, your sources, your harmonics. Fly on your lace wing, curl in your welkin. Bridge, dike, aqueduct, rampart. Let go your rain, your levee patrol. Thank you. That's the end of that poem. I just want to say the last line 
Mm-hmm. Rain is spelled R E I G N. You know, right. like a, yes. a queen or king. Let go of that. Yes. Yeah. That was an epic piece, Mary. An epic piece. <laughs> Thank tell you. Tell me, tell me whether, tell me about an experience, an early experience in your life. Let's go back in time. That uh-huh. you learned that poetic language had power. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> when I was in grade school, we had these little blue, little blue books. They might have been called grammar books. We learned um, they were hardcover blue books. We learned vocabulary. We learned how to diagram sentences, and we learned to memorize um, poems that were these these verses da 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 they rhymed and and all of that and we memorized these and we recited them when i was uh i was i was a great reader as a child getting my own yes. books out of the library and i might have been about 11 or 12 and i discovered walt whitman and his poems and his lines didn't resemble those that I had, you know, been brought up on at all. They they could just speak person to person and they could just go anywhere. And so that was a that was an experience for me inside. And uh I remember I remember somewhere I have a, a little notebook where I would keep verses I wrote as a child and and I remember writing one that I just let the lines each line be as long as it wanted. And I think because right. I had you know, Red Whitman. Mm-hmm. All right. Please yes. share another poem. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> I want to hear more. I want to hear okay. more. <laughs> okay. I'll read a poem. It's it's named She Wanted My Heart the Same Way. And you mentioned um, anthologies that my mm-hmm. poems have been in. And so besides uh, being in The Devil's Fools, this is also in the anthology Rumors, secrets, and lies, and that was um, that was uh, created in just a few months uh, in late summer, and it was published in November uh, by N. Hinga Press. It's a little press in Florida, and uh, there's oh, I think 116 American poet, poets in this in this uh, book. Rumors, mm-hmm. secrets, secrets, and lies. Um, the press was concerned about the erosion of women's rights and kind of, you know, women's rights being under threat. And so that's why they put this anthology together. And uh, I'd like to read this poem for all the older girls in large families, uh, like myself and like my sister Helen, uh, who were responsible for raising their younger siblings and, and also for all the mothers who have many children. Um, the, one, uh, the, the title has heart in it. And one meaning of the hearts of the poem uh, is the heart-shaped earrings that the speaker is wearing as she speaks about her mother. All right. Yeah, here goes. She wanted my heart the same way. She once said of the boys, their equipment is exposed, such a vulnerable way to go through life. She tumbled me the way the waves do sea stones, me and nine others, eight of us full term. Brim of her womb, I sit wearing her ultimate hat, rainable, sunnable, crushable, 
still like new. The table, silvered wood, bench damp. The line for fried sweet dough, not getting any shorter. A child pulls rhinestone at the tide line. Three in diapers, and me, tall enough to help. The rhythm of that house was frantic, tripping on, pulling, red wagons, plastic cups. Her emeried nails, they were mothers, I can't help it, lined up my earlobes, notched opal studs. With a stroller at a crosswalk, there was my pebble of a voice. Wait, little ones, until the light changes. Thank you. That's beautiful. You know, it sounds like you take a deep dive into very thoughtful issues. And what I want to know is, is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Oh, if a poem's going to be true for me, uh, th- there can't be any guard wall, any guardrail for me. It, it's um, I I'm I'm I don't write poems that just say what I think, you know, just in sentences like prose. Um, uh, I it's I write with a lot of images, I guess you've noticed, just in these yes. two poems, mm-hmm. you know, but. I use those images in order to reach people. Um, everyone has, has watched the uh, the breakers come in and then the, the rhinestones at the tide line. You know, I, I never thought of it as rhinestone before until I was writing this poem, for example. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, 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 it captures that beauty, you know. And, and there is jewelry in the poem later when my mother, you know, twists those earrings um, uh, so it so it goes, you know, in the poem. So all right, all yeah. Right. You know, I want to know, as a writer, just as in general, mm-hmm. what does writing do to you as a thinker? Uh, somewhere. Oh, I wish I had the name of the writer that said this. Uh, mm-hmm. How do I know what I think until I see what I say? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> say that again. Say that again, Mary. Say it one more time. How, how do I know what I think until I see what I say? Wow. For me, <laughs> that, that's Great. true, Michael, because I, I don't know what's coming when I write a poem. <laughs> when, when I begin a poem, um, and, and um, this, this poem that I just read, it began as something much, much shorter, you know, and it, but it always had that, that theme about the hearts in it and the earrings, you know, um, and it, it just, <laughs> I, I start a poem because I, I get a line in my head, you know, or, or mm-hmm. I hear, I hear some words and it's like, well, what is this? What does this go with? And, um, yeah. Well, do you take time to reflect on each poem that you've written? Do you sit Do you down mean, with it? Oh, you, said, well, you said earlier that poems talk no. to you in a sense. Oh, yeah. So you're talking back to them. So do you take time after you've written the poem to just, 
I guess to breathe, to book, to to reflect on what you've written on the paper before you turn it into someone. Uh, yes, definitely. And um, I will often um, keep it on where I'm sitting to write. You know, I'll, I'll keep that poem. And I might look at the same one uh, day after day, like fresh in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. And and I read it out loud, not not loud, loud, you know, but but you can audib- audibly, you know. Yes. So because the sound is is essential for me in in the poetry, and so I reflect on it because I'm I'm partly trying to uh, strike out any any false notes, anything okay. insincere. Another thing, and this yes. is where our our ears are very helpful if we have the time to to read out loud. If I'm reading and for four or five words, I just go a little faster. I notice mm-hmm. this. I notice mm-hmm. this. And I might be going faster because that's not so very good. Or maybe that doesn't need to be in there, you know. And so what has happened is there's this articulation between the senses, I write by hand, I use tools, you know, pens and pencils and different, whatever, uh, on paper. And I, of course, have using my eyes, but um, the mouth and the ear are, are a really crucial part of hooking up the whole person. In, and, um, and that's what I'm looking for. Is this poem whole in the sense that I feel whole reading it? Very nice. Please share a poem. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I will just now, I think I want to turn to a, a poem from my chapbook that came out in 2020. Um, this book is called The Ruined Walled Castle Garden, and the poem is uh, takes place just uh, on an island near New Orleans. And there's a historical figure mentioned in the poem, someone I, I read about in a magazine uh, her name was Emma Meal, and she survived a, a 19th century hurricane that hit New Orleans. The title is, Is a Transcendently Beautiful Place Not to Be Ours? The sea bangs about and sweeps out half the earth of Ile Dernier with half its 1856 summer residents. Chance combinations of genes or plans based on the weather consign personal fate to probability. How many can rise to the side of the saints and float among the rocks in a white dress? Shifting winds sweep Emma Meal back in. Little bags for keeping miracles streak her cheeks Lumps of fool's gold on the last barrier island, entranced, shivering beneath the doctor's stethoscope, Emma fever dreams. The great clod across the marsh channels erodes with each storm strike. In the century after steam, then the century after flight. Mortals will rebuild, fight rocks, 
to float among. Thank you. That's the end. You know, writing can be very emotionally draining, and it can be Mm. a very stressful pursuit. Mm. Do you have any tips for aspiring writers in terms of (laughs) maintaining? Well, be prepared to skip all those parties. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a big one. Um, here's a big one. Here's a big one. When you're, I'm so glad you brought this this whole question up, Michael. It's um, it's tiring. Uh, I had a seven month fellowship to write poetry in Provincetown, Massachusetts, right on the ocean, and I was almost 40 years old during this time. I turned 40 there, and. Mm-hmm. For the first time in my life, poetry was my job, and mm. I was tired after a few hours of it in the morning, and I would go lie down on the bed, or I would go out for a walk or something, and, and I thought, well, gee, no wonder I can't get very far trying to write poetry when I'm teaching full time, and I'm, you know, so... My my real point, and I'm I'm so grateful to the Fine Arts Work Center for for my Stanley Kunitz Fellowship. It changed my life, you know. But mm-hmm. I really learned that teaching is work, gardening is work, cooking is work, poetry writing is work. And mm-hmm. what most writers are doing is we're leaving we're we're living a life uh, like everybody else lives a life i mean we have to fix the toilet we have to all those things um but then we also have this just about full-time life of of the spirit and of articulating words and and it, it, I didn't skip all the parties till till I was in my forties, but I, I, just, I, I skipped them without guilt. Now that's what it is because because I'm I'm tired, you know. Yeah. It can be yeah. a draining process. It really can be. It really because can. You, you're in, some, in many poems, your emotions are involved. Sometimes you're putting words on paper that you've never put on paper before about issues that have affected your life. Mm-hmm. Let's take a, yeah. a, a brief break, Mary, and we'll be right back, okay? Okay. All right. We are back. I am Michael mm. Anthony Ingram. <laughs> I'm here with Mary Gilliland. Mary. Mm. Michael. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> All great writers <laughs> have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? Hmm. 
Well, do you want now or then? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you'd like to share. (laughs) Okay. As a young person, I was an iconoclast. I didn't look back. I didn't want to read any anybody uh, like Christopher Smart, anybody old or whatever, anybody long gone. Mm-hmm. With one exception, I would say one exception. I was fascinated with all of the earliest writing, like what was in Anglo-Saxon and um, uh, mythology, you know, all those things. But I was very inspired by uh, contemporary uh, American poets, particularly, uh, who were writing at the time uh, I was in college. And this would be Adrian Rich and Denise Levertov, um, primarily, and um, also Gary Snyder and Allen Ginsberg, uh, Leroy Jones, Diane DiPrima, um, the whole cluster of people. Uh, in fact, uh, instead of going to school in poetry, I... Mm-hmm. I had a lucky break. Um, Karma or destiny uh, brought me uh, to a wild party after a reading that Gary Snyder gave. And my husband-to-be and I got invited to go live out on his land in California. So I apprenticed uh, in poetry by learning carpentry and and, um, Buddhism and how to uh, live without electricity, all those things. So Mm -hmm. I was very much looking around at the moment, you know, and and what was current and who were, uh, Adrian Rich was a uh, very great on feminist issues. Denise Levertov uh, is one of the most outspoken poets against war. Uh, I admired what what they stood for, you know, and uh, later in life, I oh, what I put it, I usually put it this way. I I studied I studied Shakespeare in my 30s, and uh, Milton I got around to reading in my 40s, and then finally in my 50s, John Donne, who is um, one of the most intricate and fearless and both both sexy and sacred poets uh i think of all time and you know that's a strong statement that's a very strong statement you've got to tell me why (laughs) you've got to tell me why (laughs) why i mean it's in it's in his poems it's in his poems and he had different phases of his life he he was quite a rambler early on but then he um he actually became a minister later in life. He was he was the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral over in England. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, but that's just to, uh, you know, speak of some, say, big blockbuster poets of the past. I, I, I read uh, so many of the current poetry books, and, and there's a, there is such a fruitfulness now uh in the in poetry in this country and in other countries and one of the wonderful things is that the US is really opening more to poets mm-hmm. from other countries um I'll I'll just mention um yes. the um Lost Horse Press has a series of Ukrainian poets that they've been publishing for probably 9 or 10 years and mm-hmm. it's facial page translation because of this terrible war uh, people are reading these books now, and um, 
one of the things I decided to do this year, I I couldn't stop the war, but I could get the books into libraries. And so I had, uh, there's a, a, a listserv of, of Slavic language librarians uh, in different uh, parts of the United States. And I hooked up with the person in charge of that list. And, and she sent around a, a little circular and said, look, there's this wonderful series of, of poem, poets. Um, there's, there's 12 or more books by now. Uh, of, mm-hmm. the, of Ukraine, different individual Ukrainian poets. And um, Mary is uh, encouraging you to uh, add these to your collection. And if you need money, she has it. And so I was able to, uh, all, all different parts of the United States, there is there are libraries that now have oh, poems by Ukrainian poets. Oh, yeah. oh, so you truly practice what you preach. Oh, do I preach? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. No, you don't. You don't preach. <laughs> That's just a saying. That's just a saying. <laughs> okay. But it The other day, somebody said to me, oh, did you hear that, that those, who, who, uh, those who cannot do teach, those who cannot teach, preach? And I thought, well, I retired, I retired from teaching. Is this my fate now? <laughs> well, I guess what I meant is that for yeah. you to take on a project like that, it turned out to be more than just something in your head. Like, oh, you know, I'd love to do it. I don't have time mm-hmm. to do it. You did it. You yeah. talked about it, and you did it. So you practiced what you preached. I did, and I did it even though I have so Yes, so that's what it sounds like. Computer skills. It took me so long. You know, somebody that knows computers could have just clicked, 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 and done it all in an hour or two. But, mm-hmm. yeah. right, <laughs> but right. I got, I actually, I actually got the newest uh, of the newest books they had put out into the Library of Congress. The librarian at the Library of Congress was one of the people that responded, and he told me. That you know, every book is supposed to have a copy in the Library of Congress, but it mm-hmm. takes ages. It takes ages to get to D.C. I don't know why. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, um, "Could you please yourself supply us the most recent two? And so I did. You know, because he wanted to have them as soon as possible instead of going through the the red tape that it takes to get the books cataloged. That's incredible, Mary. That's an incredible story. Oh. And if no one has given you kudos for that and say congratulations <laughs> and that you need to pat yourself on the back, I'm telling you that now. That is wonderful. Can you hear That'll me be- now, Michael? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, I can. Yes, I can. <laughs> Mary, please be yeah. careful. <laughs> okay, well. Well, how about that wild celery? I, rem- I remember you had me yes. read, read some titles. Let me find wild celery. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. This is a this is a reflective poem, and I, and I would say it's a reflective poem for people who might be at midlife or or later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wild celery. Now you feared. <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> Now you fear joy, as though a flattened hybrid could sate appetite. Green, that was its origin, bleached nearly white. Hot-housed, plastic-bagged, will that be the meal? 
or what grows in the marsh, its mud-flanged heart. Eat your peck of dirt, your mother heard her mother say, the soup free of purity's temporary money. You've trimmed house, pruned career, composted old griefs. The first seasoning recorded was celery's bitter leaf. Your hands will lever from a final bed, elbows angle like a flail, where tight ribs meet on a tough stalk. Your finger traces insect trails to the crease. Thank you. And I, I will just mention that is an actual fact. After I graduated from college, I studied mm-hmm. plants and I studied herbs. And celery was the first herb when people were looking around for, well, how can I get my food to be a little more tasty? They, mm-hmm. they, they use celery leaves. And, and that was our, uh, you know, the original celery that has a real tang. What do you hope readers get when they encounter your work? Hmm. Um, I hope that readers get a, a fuller, larger heart uh, of their own. You know, when they encounter their work, that they that that say uh, there are elegies in this book, for example. Um, mm-hmm. I I have three siblings who have gone on to you yes. know leave yes. this world, and um, uh, a a poem a poem can grieve for us, you know, mm-hmm. if yes. if we we're really paying attention to the words. A, a poem can laugh us out loud too, and mm-hmm. uh, that's really what I. I would hope um, there, you know, there are some poems that that really have flashes of anger in them, so that that people won't turn away from their own emotions and um, from their own ruins mm-hmm. <laughs> and from their own dreams and their ideals. Yeah. Mary, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Mm, what would hurt about it? Well, I I don't get to those parties. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I guess as you go inside yourself. Yes. As you're talking about emotions. So does oh, it? Yes, okay. that's the question. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I, I know that um, there was a particular time um, uh, one of my brothers, one of my brothers died. Um, the, the first of my siblings who died, it took a long time. He was ill for a long time. And so all of the family had this uh, real uh, years to to reach some kind of acceptance that yes. he really would be going. Um, but the second, um, uh, the second brother, it was just six weeks from diagnosis till he died. And one of my friends, I exchange uh, poems with a, a couple of friends. We uh, read and give feedback on each other's work. And one of my friends would ask me, she would say, aren't you writing about your brother? Aren't you writing about your brother yet? And I couldn't do it for yes. probably 
six or seven years till after he mm-hmm. died. Mm-hmm. And it was it was something that um and 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 I know I wrote things down, you know, and I and I yes. tried or whatever. And so I don't know if you could say that trying to do that in spite of myself was hurting me, but mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get it as poetry. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then when when I was able to open up the grieving with words, it was something actually unrelated that mm. that made it possible for me to start <laughs> start writing Talk to about. Me. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I said, you said it was something unrelated. Is there something you want to share? <laughs> well, I could share this. Um, this I'd love this for is, you to. This doesn't have to do with any poems I'm going to read because That's all right. That's all right. what I what okay. I wound up writing was it's 75 pages long in a manuscript. What I wound up writing over a period oh, wow. of years, you know, it takes mm, me a long yes. time. It, it takes me a long time to write a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, I was visiting a small museum and I was fascinated by a, a huge statue. It's metal work, all these different metals, and it was very intricate. And it was, it's called the Kingdom of the Sea, and uh, it, it oh it has a wave and and it has these little sea creatures and it's from Japan. They're all wearing little kimonos, but they have mm-hmm. like a fish head or you know a lobster head or something. And then there are a couple of human figures, and and I'm looking at it and I'm just fascinated by it. And I return to look at it another time, and then I look at the card on the wall. And I find out it was made in the 19th century in Fukushima, where the nuclear meltdown was. And mm-hmm. I, this was just a couple years after that meltdown, you know, mm-hmm. maybe even the, the year after. And and something about that, I find, um, now this is just a, a sculpture, you know, but yes. I find the sea itself is... It's the most powerful. It's the most powerful thing on earth, I think. You know, and so something about the the waves twisting and the number of creatures that were all in this sculpture. Um, I wished that I could show it to him, mm. and then I I saw it was made in Fukushima, and mm. what has happened in Fukushima, and our whole earth is is damaged and grieving from the nuclear, you know? And well, so it kind of turned me inside out. Well, that brings up a question that I've asked over 300 times. Oh. Yes. There is so much <laughs> happening in the world, the good, yeah. the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. What I mm. want to know is, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society to offer our poems as a vehicle for reclaiming our attention you know human attention a role of a poet uh ada limon uh she calls her radio show the slowdown you know where she has a i think a poem on uh, and and you need to 
stop. You stop and pay attention if you're if you're going right. to take in a poem. And mm-hmm. I I think that uh, that's one of the most valuable things we can do. And this goes maybe this goes back to what I was saying earlier about time. We can mm-hmm. just free people. We can just take people out of time for mm-hmm. for a few minutes and out of the the race, you know, and the the have to and the musts and the shoulds and all those things. Um, and uh, also I. Uh, of course, uh, I, I, I might have said this earlier, I, I don't pick topics and then I'll write about them, but um, I do write about my concerns, um, uh, social justice and, and uh, the damage to our environment is, and what that's doing to the state of our health, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a world, um, to... Mm, pull people in to pay attention. Oh, I had a very interesting uh, uh, conversation once with a biologist, and he long ago did uh, his research in the Amazon. And uh, he was very interested in insects and also in plants and in the medical use of plants. And he was so concerned about uh, the Amazon being cut down. I mean, it just goes on and on um, how it's been cut down. And so he would go around and he would give lectures and he would show people these graphs and these statistics and this is happening. And if we don't stop, this is going to happen. And he realized after a, a lot of these lectures that the only way he was going to reach people was to make them love it. Mm. That, the statistics and the information wasn't going to make the difference. And, and I think this is true. Information does not change behavior, but feeling does. Yes. And I, and like I that. think that's, I think that's our, our role. Yeah. Mm. I'd like you to tell me about a poem mm-hmm. that you were afraid to share or to mm. include in a journal because of fear of possible misinterpretation. You're proud of writing it, but you're afraid to share it for possible fear of misinterpretation. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Ah. Uh, well. Hmm. I think the circumstances for that would have to do with whether there's a person mentioned in the poem that would okay. be really... Uh, offended, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, not wanting, it would think I got it wrong, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it would be a circumstance like that, I think. Okay. I understand. What I'd yeah. like you to do, you know, I love listening to your voice. Oh, there's, well. there's something There's something special about the way you sound. And what is that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe You're... it's because you focus on sounds. Oh. I don't know. I it's just, it's very lifted. Well, I love your voice because it's very like the voice of one of my oldest friends. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, really. It really is. And the way you laugh is just almost like his, too. <laughs> well, this is, I want to segue into a question then. What do you think is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice, if there's a relationship? Mm. 
Hmm. Well, <laughs> the thing about the written voice is I get a chance to do it over if I want to, you know? Okay. All right. And I, I certainly have. Um, uh, when I'm, when I'm speaking, I, um, I've always wondered how, how do people think before they speak? Because, um, I hear people speak so intelligently and mm-hmm. it seems to me I just blurt things out and I I don't have time to think before I speak. So what is the relation between these two voices? Um hmm. Because when you share it, you're communicating it and I'm gonna tell you, I've not heard you it, maybe you were blurting, but it sounded good to me. <laughs> I did not pick up it. I did not pick up it. You, you just yeah. talking off the cuff. <laughs> I, I am. I, I truly am. But I, I am. Never, never, yeah. never said that. <laughs> something. So this is something that has happened to me later in life. Is mm-hmm. I believe my speaking voice. Um, became more assured, you know, and audible even because mm-hmm. I became a, a, a real poet. I mean, I always wrote poetry from the time I was six years old. I wrote poetry, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, when I was, say, out in Provincetown and I had all that time away from away from the job, away from mostly away from my husband, you know, Um, (laughs) you know, family, friends. Um, I, um, oh, I can't remember where I started this sentence now, Michael. That's okay. That's okay. Okay. Yeah, but what happened was I wanted it to become a a real short, a, a poet who would write a piece that somebody wanted to read again, almost as soon as they finished reading it the first time, you know. Mm-hmm. And and once I had a number of poems like that, I believe I could, you know, my speaking voice was sure of itself. Wow. Yeah. So it sounds like you feel that you were meant to be a poet. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I was meant to be a poet. <laughs> I took I took oh, okay. a lot of other, I took a lot of detours, you know. I did mm-hmm. I did my shared detours and you know other other roads. And I'm maybe my downfall is I am endlessly curious about everything. everything <laughs> all right, project. all right, right. <laughs> so, being a poet, what surprises you most about being a poet? Um. Hmm. Um, well, this is a quiet surprise, maybe, but what surprises me is to hear from another person who has uh, heard heard me read poems. If you go to my website, you can you can uh, you can click on these little MP3s, and and you'll mm-hmm. hear uh, me reading the poems. And also, I'll just share that. I like to use GarageBand and do voice distortion to match the speaker of the poem. And so on my website, it can get to be a lot of fun, um, you know. But if someone really lets me know what happened inside them when they read this poem, and people email me. Um, there's a, a contact form on my website, and, and people email me about how 
you know, you know, I I started reading your book, and and I've only read like one or two at a time because there's so much richness there, or mm-hmm. I want to read it again, and and so that uh, uh, it surprises me that first of all that they take the time to do that, but it surprises me that I have um, reached my goal, you know, with uh, the real uh, communing. Um, mm-hmm. through through this means, this means of these words on a page with another soul, soul to soul. Well, I'm going to go, go back a second. I finally figured it out, what it is about your voice. Oh. <laughs> that is so special. You know, when you said you had the MP3s and the, diff, the vocal uh, distortions and all those things, it made yeah. me think that your voice is no longer in bondage. There's oh. no container around your voice uh, to hold you back from being you. That is a wonderful image. And, you know, something that has happened, um, I, I mentioned that when I start with the words of a poem, I don't necessarily know what it's about. But mm-hmm. also, yeah, sometimes I don't know who it's about. I don't know <laughs> who's, who's speaking. And um, sometimes it'll take you know, days or months or whatever to, to realize like, oh, this is not me. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is a woman who's been beat up standing outside a bar. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's who's mm-hmm. speaking here. Um, yes. Here, this is this uh, man whose back aches and the, the, the weed he's trying to get out of the garden is, is so many feet long and he's disgusted. And, you know, that's not me. It's not me speaking. And so possibly these, uh, my willingness to, <laughs> to go with the unknowns like this, maybe that has done something with my voice too. Yeah, it's possible. You know, we've reached a part of the program, which is my personal favorite. I call oh. it a mini <laughs> poetry concert. So this is where you share three or four poems okay. without interruption from me, no questions, Three or four poems, back to back. Are you ready? Okay. Because we're on the stage. I am ready. I want to read a poem called Lit with Radiance. And uh, the structure of this poem uh, borrows. I was I was raised in the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and um, in. Uh, one of the ways of prayer is a rosary. And the rosaries, when you recite these prayers, you're reciting what's called the mysteries. And so you you can recite uh, five joyful mysteries, and uh, the prayers are repeated, or the sorrowful mysteries, and then there's the glorious mysteries. So it's, you know, beautified with images. So I stole the terminology for this poem of joy and sorrow and glory. And so that uh, structures the poem. Lit with radiance. Joy oscillates to sorrow as a dolphin breathes one element to move in another. As a butterfly eats the plant's green solids when it crawls, the nectar when it's winged. Sorrow fathoms glory as a tree's roots 
pearl irregular in shape and thickness, unsteadying the outline of its trunk. Glory rouses joy, the way a mystery comes close to shadow, or a shoulder leads the knee from ground to space, where curvature saddles the known universe. Joy announces sorrow in the wish to live in many countries, turn all corners, marvel at the streets, and wash them. Sorrow, amber's glory, inside shabby rental houses, motes of sunlight, pollen, shoes, well broken in. It's uh, winter time, and I'll read a poem that's called Winter in the Garden. When I squat to the spade base, the handle does the lifting. So I see the yellowed body in cascades of loosened earth With the blind human movement toward the future, my pointer finger tucks the damp sack of her belly. A webbed foot rests on clods of grubs and buried eggs whose hatch will wake her. With the half-mew of a cat moved from an easy chair, the toad rebukes me in her dreaming. <laughs> this book is called The Devil's Fool, so I think we've yes. got to bring the devil, the devil in at least once here. Uh, the devil has to make at least one appearance. So this poem is called Going Places. <laughs> and if I had chosen my locale by answering the nation's classifieds, as though the soul, my only daughter, could be left behind, its yearning, a music that fate disallowed. Spring song nips from a high snag, the ending notes soft red arrows pricking the roots dusk. The devil stops with his bag of gold wants only one thing in return. Hands in pockets, I would likely learn to thrive where circumstance set me, see wind woven in my cloth, or desert sun. But I've raindrop on rock 30 years, the wormy old apple dropping its fruit. Uh, I'll read a poem called Dionysus. Here's a <laughs> here's a poem about a, a tricky figure. Dionysus has uh, two faces. He has a yes. bright face and a dark face. Uh, <laughs> you can you can go for the ecstasy or the oblivion. Um, I I uh, I mentioned a plant at a certain point in this poem. Bone set. It's a very strong herb and it's actually used to, for fevers. Uh, even though it's called bone set. Uh, it's important for you to know as the listener 
that mm-hmm. the plant bone set has white flowers. When we get to the bone set, you'll know why that's important. All right. Dionysus, greet me by Apollo's marble door. Meet me where Artemis drops spore. Find me in the shadows of reliefs. Find me in the narrows wide with grief. Trust me when you've outlived hell and bone set flowers black. A steady fall, your snowflake fell, my Himalayan back. Mm. Should I, shall I do uh, one more of those? Yes, I could do that. Yes. Holy, holy Island, Holy Island. We'll go. I'd love to, to hear the, it. I'd love other, to hear it. Uh, extreme. And Holy Island is a place. Uh, it's actually called Lindisfarne. It's off the east coast. Uh, pretty close to where England and Scotland meet. And mm-hmm. uh, Lindisfarne is that people may, some people may have heard of the Book of Kells. It's an illuminated gospel. It's, um, it's very famous. It's very beautiful. There's just one copy. I think it's maybe in a library in Ireland. Um, and uh, that manuscript was actually started uh, on the island Lindisfarne. Lindisfarne is an island some of the day, okay? Uh, it depends on the tides. And so if you're visiting there, it's wise to call the telephone number to find out when the tide comes in and goes out so so that you're not there 12 hours longer than you plan to be. Mm-hmm. Holy Island. Am I hearing the split lots of pilgrims bent from hours on the motorway fingering their maps? The causeway awash. Do these hands nestle in pleasure as twigs stirred by a breeze find the calm of gravity? Are lines in my palms the branches of what I have sacrificed? Twice daily the tide, hilling toward dune grass, covers the road to the mainland. Grass. Clear page on a still day, a scribble when the gale blows off the sea. The Lindisfarne monks stirred pigments they ground from earth's plants and metals through the manuscript tracing Jerusalem's news, the tree, the lamb, the vine, hands cupped on thighs, in a sanctuary unroofed long ago, I stand beneath a thin red arch of sandstone thumbed by wind. Miniature daisies scatter a white toehold. Sound thrums through space to this green place, this clapper in the bell wanting heaven. That's thank you. That's that's uh that's the end of my series. <laughs> All, right. All right. You know, it also means we've reached the end of our poetic journey together. But I would like to know Yes. You to say writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Does hmm. writing no does it does knowing that it's out of your system 
thrill you or knowing that you finished the project thrill you? Mm. Um, well, um, I I don't find the point. I don't find the the system satisfied until I've finished the poem. <laughs> okay. So, All right. Um, um, that that's truly um, that's truly what it's about. Uh, when when it comes together, then I'm not really there anymore. I'm mm-hmm. I'm no longer necessary, and uh, it's a good feeling. It's mm-hmm. um, you know, it's time to send it to one of my friends <laughs> so mm-hmm. that they can you know say oh great or they can make suggestions and um you you, you see i i often have this illusion over and over again that that the same poem is finished and um you know sometimes it's been finished for five years but then it's it's refinished (laughs) 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 and and you never know because i'm so connected with with i i have so many poems but I have deep connect. I must have deep connections with them because I might be like on a walk or uh, in the shower, and and something will start going through my head, and it's like, oh, about that poem. Oh, where is that poem? You know, and mm-hmm. it'd be, oh, oh, finally, like the 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 final thing comes, you know, or something yes. I wasn't expecting. What is one thing that you believe? makes your writing, your poetry different from others? I am relatively unschooled. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't do an MFA program. um, I'm I'm not entirely autodidact because a lot of my friends are poets. Uh, My husband is a very fine poet. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, I... I, I think I have, what shall I say, my own vision and voice and okay. possibly a reason I never went to graduate school for poetry was I, I'm, I am such a mimic. I mean, if you knew me in person, hmm, I, I carry voices and I, and I just do voices, you know, I, it's not like I'm a stand up or anything like that, okay. but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm a natural mimic and I was, I didn't want to be, I, I, I feared I would be susceptible to influence and I would write, you know, just like my heroes, you know, Mm -hmm, so I didn't mm -hmm. want, I didn't really want to do that. And so I hope I'm accurate in saying that I have a different kind of voice, you know. Well, it's funny. I was going to share that for some reason, your voice is now embedded in my brain. <laughs> I don't know, I don't oh, know no. <laughs> But it is. <laughs> and I've never told anybody else that in all okay. the episodes. Okay. So, so you at, you at Mary Gilliland, the earworm. Is it So that makes also makes your writing unique <laughs> and different from others. <laughs> Well, thank you for I what, I, never said well, that. I will take this as a compliment. So yes, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. Mary, what, where can listeners find your work? Oh, well, marygilliland.com. And, um, you know, 
they can see it on the website here, but I'll also spell it because it gets massacred spelling-wise in all sorts of ways. <laughs> it's, it's all one word, Mary Gilliland, G-I-L-L-I-L-A-N-D.com. And you can um, find there, if you go there, the landing page is uh, the page for the Devil's Fools. And uh, there's buttons there, different kinds, depending on where you want to order the book from, whether you want to buy a signed copy. And from that landing page, you can click to a, a chat book uh, to learn about in, in uh, the ruined walled castle garden. Um, there, there's other really interesting stuff on my website. There's those audios that I mentioned. And most importantly, there's the contact page where you can yes. sign up for my occasional, I have an occasional poetry newsletter. It's, mm-hmm. it's not something I pester people with, but if you want to be on the email list, for my newsletter, send a message through my contact page. I usually write one every six to eight weeks. Uh, it might have announcements or excerpts of poems or reflections about poetry, little stories, pictures. Yeah. So, right. yeah. Yeah. And also, oh, I'll just say, um, the distributor for The Devil's Fools, I noticed on their page for the book, they have links where if you teach – and you would like to use the book in your classroom or your course, uh, there's a link to request an examination copy. And uh, also, if you happen to be a media reviewer, um, if you do book reviews of poetry, you can request a, a review copy right there. I, I find that's a very valuable support from a, from a distributor. Yeah, that's very it, nice. Yeah. What, what's next for you creatively? Where do you go from here? Uh, well, I, uh, just put finishing touches on another collection. Oh, wow. Do you sleep? Well, <laughs> wow. you know, I, I sleep very well usually. Okay. <laughs> but honestly, when I, when I left, uh, when I left academia, you know, and I just, I, I made a decision and I I was fairly young for retirement. I I need to just be a poet. Now it's very hard to just be a poet if you live at home anyway, but um mm-hmm. I I just um find that uh I I don't know. I I sleep better, I eat better and and I have my hours of the morning for my devotion, you know. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, but what what also uh, what I plan to do next is mm-hmm. I'm putting together yet another collection, and truly, truly would like to finish that 75 page manuscript that yes, uh, blossomed out of my brother's death. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, I understand. Well, I, want to, <laughs> I want to thank you for being my first guest of the new uh-huh. year. Yeah, because my you brother, helped. You started out, yeah. I you know, it's just, it's so light, and I think we're going to have a good year based on what happened tonight. Uh, your light will help others' light. It's just going to live on. That's how I view it. That is such a wonderful, wonderful thing you said, and, and wonderful to hear, Michael. You are you are a great host, and, and I thank you immensely for having me on the show and and making this available to so many people listening, I, I feel very honored to 
be able to read from the devil's fools and talk with you. Yes. Yes. I'm happy now. I was able to calm down. My anxiety just flew out the window (laughs) because it was a new show. (laughs) And I just feel at peace. (laughs) And I want to thank you for that. (laughs) We're all in. We're we're all in this together. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. All right, then. To the listening okay. audience, <laughs> thank you for tuning in. And as I share with you every episode, let poetry ring throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Take care, Mary. Thank you so much. Thank you, too, Michael. Take good right. care of yourself. I will. Okay. You do the same. Okay. Quintessential Bye-bye. Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.